When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. Today's episode is part two of last week's answering your questions. So we're going to wrap it up today. I'm going to get through all the questions. Stay tuned. So before we get into the questions, let me update you on what was going on this past week. So I launched the book, Chef's PSA, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals. So if you haven't got that book, go buy it. It's great. I love it. Everyone loves it. If you don't love it, something's wrong with you. So anyway, go get that book. The second thing I did was I launched our new line of merch. So there's there's a, a lot of different things that you could look at. There's some stickers, um, Magic Chef Juice and line cook water stickers. There's also water bottles with magic chef juice and line cook water. So if you're a chef, if you're a line cook, what's in the bottle? I don't know. I know line cook water usually is not water. And I know magic chef juice may or may not make magic happen. So what's in magic chef juice? I don't know, you know, so you go figure it out. Anyway, also launched a couple of different t-shirts. One of them inspired by, you know, the late, great Anthony Bourdain. It's, it's all farm to table. It's a riff on a quote that he said when he said, everywhere he's been, the food has always come from a farm and it's always been eaten on a table. So he didn't really get why that farm to table movement, at least the term was so overused. The other shirt is something that has always been said in kitchens that I've worked in that is awake and ready. Awake and Ready Chef, and it was just our universal greeting that we would say to each other when we'd say, hi, how are you? We'd say, Awake and Ready, or hey, Chef, how are you? Awake and Ready. That was just the universal answer, so that's where that comes from if you were curious. But anyway, if you want to support the show, there's some new merch. Take a look. And by the way, if you're going to look at the merch, sometimes Instagram's kind of funny. Sometimes it shows things that aren't available, so I I wanted to do limited edition things, so the Lord of the Line Cook stuff, it's no longer available, so don't try and buy it. Sometimes it pops up that it's available for sale. It's not, so don't buy that anymore. I want to remind everyone, I talked about this on the last show, I'm doing a dinner November 13th in El Paso, Texas, part of a group of El Paso chefs. We're coming together for something we call Family Meal. It benefits charities in El Paso, so if you live in that city and you want to meet some of the other chefs, Buy, buy your tickets, and we hope to see you there. By the way, all the questions that were asked were really good. I added some that were sent to me this week in, in the DM, so I'm changing it up just a little bit, but there's some really good questions in here. So let's start with the first one, and this is, do I need a degree to become a chef? And the answer is no. 
I talk about it a little bit more in the Chef's PSA podcast culinary school episode. It's not necessary to have a culinary school degree to become a chef. Working in a kitchen and demonstrating competency is required to become a chef. Hard work, discipline, experience, know-how. That's what gets you into the position of chef. The culinary degree gets your foot in the door in a lot of places, but never once have I ever had an executive chef position or a sous chef position in my life where people said, can I see your diploma? Or it was a deal breaker if I didn't have one. So for people that think that you do need the culinary school degree, it you don't. However, why would you say no to education culinary school? For me, I, like I said before in the other podcast, I think culinary school is great. If you have the opportunity to go to culinary school, I would just because I believe in education. And if I could get any sort of competitive edge with culinary knowledge, I'll take it. But it's not for everyone, and it is not mandatory to become a chef. So for those of you asking, do you need a culinary degree? No, you do not. Next question is, what are some of the most important techniques to master? That's a really good question. In my opinion, I think the techniques that people need to master usually involve in the basic cooking methods and knife skills. So when I say knife skills, I mean everything. I mean cutting vegetables, brunoise, dicing, cutting onions, but I also mean like turning potatoes, cleaning artichokes, butchering, knowing how to fillet a fish, knowing how to break down a chicken. So everything that you're going to work with, I think you need to have a strong fundamental understanding of how to work with those products. I did a chef's PSA where I said the most difficult technique to master is the one that you're afraid to try. The thing that you're afraid to try is going to be the hardest thing for you to master. As soon as you start doing it with repetition, everything becomes easy. But, you know, I, I know that's just kind of like they say a cookbook answer. If I was to say something more specific, I would say the things that I think are most difficult to master is anything with complicated multiple movements. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. If you're butchering a pig, not only do you have to have knife skills, but you got to understand the different places where the joints are located. You got to understand that your knife is going to curve sometimes. Sometimes you need to put more force. Sometimes it's less force. Understanding that something isn't so straightforward. So if you're slicing an onion, you know, it's just one repetitive motion. But when you're working with something that has multiple motions, I think those are the skills that are more complicated. Another example I could give would be, let's just say pasta making. And the reason I would say that is because one skill is going to be mixing the dough. Another skill is going to be kneading the dough. And then it's going to be rolling the dough. And then it's going to be shaping the pasta dough. So there's multiple movements required in order to master that skill. It's just not one repetitive motion. It's just not kneading or it's just not making pasta shapes. And on top of that, there's thousands of pasta shapes you can make. So I think the most important skills in the kitchen are going to be the ones that you use day to day. So knife skills, cooking skills, braising, sauteing, etc. But when you get into the more complex cooking skills, it's the ones that have multiple movements that I think are probably the most difficult to master. So as soon as you start working on them, the sooner you'll get better at them. Good question. Another question that I was asked, and this was not in the original Q&A, but I was asked this this week, is how do you develop your palate? And I thought that was a really good question, and it's probably something I could do a whole episode on. And I would say taste everything. As simple as that sounds, that's really how you develop your palate. So when you're walking down the line, you taste everything. You look at something, you taste it. You taste it with something. You add salt, you taste it again. You reduce a liquid, you taste it before it was reduced, you taste it after it was reduced. You taste it 
when you season it. You add a little bit of vinegar, you taste it again. You add a little bit more vinegar, you taste it again. You add a little bit of salt, you taste it again. You add a little bit of sugar, you taste it again. You put some fish sauce, you taste it again. Maybe you sprinkle some MSG, you taste it again. And you continue to do that. You finish it with butter, you taste it again. You taste things when they're good. You taste things when they're bad. You taste things when they're bad and you've corrected them and made them good. And you taste things when they're bad and you can no longer correct them. I think... Every chef will understand what I say next is that you always know what scorched pot tastes like. So there's a certain flavor that if you burn something and you taste it, you could, you'd know that flavor instantly. You could taste the soup or whatever the case may be and you taste it and like, did you scorch this? And a new cook a lot of times say, no, I think it tastes fine. It's like, no, it's scorched, trust me. When you know that flavor, you know it. Same thing with rancid nuts. You could try some nuts and you'll be like, those are rancid and other people will be like, oh, I, I didn't notice it. Well, when you taste everything, you pick up subtle differences. When you make something thousands of times and you taste it, you'll start to develop your palate. And I'll tell you a quick story. I went to two great restaurants and one of them was a very young up and coming chef and the other one was a very old, uh, you know, been around forever chef. And in the first restaurant, the food was beautiful, trendy, plated elegantly, but everything just kind of lacked a little bit, needed a little bit of salt and needed a little bit of acid. It was just never fully rounded out. The second restaurant I went to, everything, even though it was familiar and I had seen it before, everything was just excellent, perfectly executed, perfect seasoning, the right amount of salt, the right amount of acid, the right amount of heat, whatever the case may be, it was just perfect. And in both restaurants, there were open kitchens. And I remember watching the one where everything was just a little bit off. No one tasted their food. You could see all the cooks on the line. They're just putting food out. The chef was sending it out to the dining room. No one tasting their food. The restaurant where everything was just seasoned perfectly, every single person would taste it. They'd pass it to the chef and then the chef would taste it and then they'd send it out. So when you develop the type of kitchen culture where everyone is tasting the food, you will notice that your food does get better. Anyway, great question. I could talk about that at length. For those people that say, what about blind tasting, uh, blindfold and you know, tasting a bunch of Mr. Ingredients? That's good. It's just not practical every day. If you do that occasionally, I think it, it could help develop your palate. But the fact of the matter is you're not going to, before service, do that every day. Every day you're working with food. Every day you're tasting your food. That's the best way to develop your palate. Next question I received, this also came in the DMs, and that is, should I work in a Michelin star kitchen? The short answer is yes. If you have the opportunity, and the opportunity means, you know, I don't know if you have the means to travel, I don't know what your financial situation is, but if you could have access to some of the best chefs in the world, why wouldn't you? If you could go work in those kitchens, I think everyone should at least experience it. Maybe you get there, you don't like it, you quit, whatever. Maybe you get there and you love it. Maybe you find out it's hard. Maybe it's not what you expected, but I can tell you when you go work in these ultra high-end kitchens, those, and when I say ultra high-end kitchens, I mean like your two, three Michelin star restaurants, your restaurants that are on the world's 50 best. There's things that they are able to do in those kitchens that I, I don't think people fully realize that there's so many levels up that they don't even notice that this is happening on the plate or that fewer mistakes are being made, that the, the mentality for excellence is just great. And when you surround yourself with really great people, you know, it, it raises your level. So I've also said this before, you could, let's say you work at Noma and I'm just using this as an example. Let's say you could work at Noma and then you move to a, a, a smaller market. You're going to be able to ascend, you know, the culinary, culinary hierarchy much quicker than you would if you stayed in, you know, in the small town. So we, we joke about 
Illuminati of chefs, but you go work in these high-end Michelin star, world's 50 best kitchens, they pick up the phone and they say, hey, do you have a job for so-and-so? And it opens so many doors for you. So many doors will be open, so many opportunities will be created, and you will learn a tremendous amount working in these kitchens. But I will say, in most cases, not everywhere, but in most cases, when you go into these top-end kitchens, even if you were you know, an executive chef, chef de cuisine, sous chef, usually you're gonna start at the bottom regardless of what you did elsewhere because most places want you to learn their system and it doesn't matter what you know how to do. You gotta reprove yourself when you get into these kitchens. So a lot of times, you know, that chef ego, like, oh, I've been a sous chef or I've been a chef de cuisine, I'm not gonna go and scrub walls and peel carrots. That's, I'm, a, I'm above that at this point in my career. But the fact of the matter is you need to understand how they do everything in these kitchens. So we peel carrots this way we peel tomatoes that way, or maybe we blanch the tomatoes, or maybe we don't. And maybe there's a reason why they teach you to peel tomatoes unblanched. So it's important that you understand that, and they want you to start usually at the bottom in all kitchens. So if you have the opportunity, absolutely you should. A lot of people might not like it. It's not for everybody, but I do think there's, if I could say this, you know, take what you can from these great kitchens and apply it to make yourself a better chef. So if you have the option, take it. Next question, what's my favorite chef show? Obviously, that's changed over time. I was just like everyone else when I first started cooking. Um, I watched what was available on on TV. What really got me excited to go to culinary school, there used to be a program called Great Chefs of France and you know, Great Chefs of the World or Great Chefs of, of America, I think it was. It used to have a really cool song, Great Chefs, Great Cities. Anyway, I don't remember what the show was called. I think it was just called Great Chefs of, of the World. That was the show that really inspired me early on. You always had these master chefs and, you know, French chefs teaching basic techniques. You could go back and watch some of the episodes and you'll see some of the greatest chefs today, you know, when they're like 22 years old, uh, making, you know, making food that you would say, what, that was the best restaurant in the world at the time. Yeah. Food evolved obviously, but, um, that was my favorite show back in the day. I think as time progressed, I really got into, you know, I had my Emerald phase. I enjoyed watching Emerald and, and all these other guys on the food network. Iron chef was a big thing for me early in my career, but I think now I really enjoy the Netflix series um, Chef's Table. I think that's probably the best, well well done, best produced TV show that's out there. So um, you're asking me, my opinion, that's the show that I watch the most when it comes to chef cooking. I really don't watch a lot of the, the you know, the the game shows, you know, the, the, the cooking challenge shows. I really don't watch that that much. I, I occasionally watch Top Chef is probably the only one that I watch and you know sometimes I'll watch shows just to support friends that I know that are that are on them so anyway that's that next question is can I come work for you the answer is no I don't have a professional kitchen that I work out of I do this now I'm a content creator and I work with myself mostly you know almost everything that's put on with chef's PSA it's usually all me. So uh, unfortunately, it's a one-man show. I don't plan on having guests on the podcast anytime soon. Unless you want to come work for me for free, I'm not hiring. Anyway, if you want to bring me coffee and stuff, you know, you can work for me. Tell me jokes or listen to my jokes one way or the other. But other than that, no, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not seeking to work with people. So there, right now, there isn't an opportunity to work with me. Maybe when Chef's PSA becomes you know, a giant company, I'll be hiring people. But most likely, I won't be hiring people to cook for me at Chef's PSA. Anyway, it's uh, content creation. Anyway, sorry, not an opportunity at this point. However, a lot of chefs that have worked under me do run really amazing kitchens out there. So 
It's probably the closest thing to working with me directly is go work for some of these chefs that I've worked with. This is a fun question. People know I love hip hop. Who's the greatest rapper? Probably Nas. I think Nas is probably the greatest rapper. I just went to the Nas Wu-Tang Busta Rhymes concert. It was amazing. Had a great time. You know, his, his ability to rhyme. The fact that he wrote New York State of Mind, which I honestly I think is one of the greatest rap songs ever. And he wrote it when he was like, I don't know, 16 or something like that. Without Google, that's very impressive. I couldn't write that today with Google. So Nas, greatest rapper of all time. For all you hip hop people that want my opinion, that's it. I listen to a lot of Nas on repeat, Wu-Tang. Um, 90s hip hop, I'm stuck in that era. But I do like a lot of the newer stuff, just not as much as I like some of the older stuff. But great question. Was the story about someone trying to shoot you for critiquing their food true? Yes, that is a true story. And for those of you that don't know it, when I was in culinary school, I went to a house party. I was about to graduate and there was a lot of younger students there. And one of the younger students, and by the way, when you're in culinary school, like if you're eight months ahead of everyone else that's new, you just think you're a genius compared to them because, you know, they don't know how to hold a knife yet and you know how to hold it, but you just nick yourself occasionally. So I remember I was at the tail end of culinary school and uh, this person was new in culinary school and they were cooking some steaks and they put them in the oven and they were, they were clearly overdone. They were like New York strips, but they were like, well done New York strips. And I told the guy, I said, Hey, I think your steaks are well done. And he got really upset and he said, you know, I don't want to die of trichinosis. And obviously he was referencing pork. You know, he didn't, he didn't know that. We got into a little argument over that and I was like, eh, whatever. I, I went about my way, but I got a, a weird feeling about it. And I went and told my friend, I said, hey, we should probably leave. Now at the time I was, I was a young kid, but I was a, a bit of a you know, knucklehead thug at the time. But I, my spider senses are going off like, hey, this guy's, this guy has nothing to lose. And very insecure. That's a deadly combination. So I told my friend, let's get out of here. And as we were leaving um, and walking out of the party, the guy chased us out with the gun trying to shoot us, uh, shoot me more specifically for critiquing his food. So that was an interesting day. And I learned, be careful when critiquing people's food because they take it serious. So anyway, yeah, that's a true story. hundred percent true. Next question. If you could only eat in one restaurant as a special occasion this year, which one would it be? Well, I live in Texas. So realistically, I probably will eat at this restaurant. And the restaurant happens to be in Dallas. And that is Chef Junior Borgia's restaurant, Meridian. I think, honestly, I think it's one of the best restaurants in the state, arguably. Um, he's a friend. So, you know, shout out to Junior and, and the team there at the Village Meridian. But I do think that's probably one of the best dining experiences uh, in Texas that I've had. I ate there last year. I'd probably, no, I ate there this year. Yeah, if I could only have one meal this year, I would say I would probably eat there again. It was that good. Junior's a phenomenal chef, good friend. But the food that he's putting out is very, very high level. Um, not to offend anyone else, any of my other friends in Texas. But I, I do think that the food that he's putting out is some of the best in, in the state. So that would be my one meal um, realistically that I probably will have this year. The next question is what career paths are there for chefs that are burnt out? That's a really good question. And unfortunately it's very difficult for me to answer because I don't know the specific individual and what other skills you have. But as a chef, I could tell you this, if you're an executive chef, you start to develop a lot of leadership skills. You understand politics, you understand HR, you understand financials, so if you no longer want to be a chef, and 
I'm using this as a general rule of thumb for everyone that's a chef, but you could transition into other areas of leadership and management because I, I do think that if you're a chef, you learn great leadership skills. You learn problem management, financials, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Great skills that are transferable to any other industry. So I would say find another position in leadership, again, without knowing your specific skills because maybe you're a great painter and I can't sit here and say, oh, you should go be a painter. So very difficult question to answer, but I would say in general, the skills that you learn as a chef in terms of leadership are very transferable to many other industries. Great question. The next question is, what are some resume red flags? That's a really good question and I should probably do a whole episode on this. There's a lot of questions that I need to answer here today and I want to stay within the time frame. but red flags that I would look for is someone that's hopped around too much in the industry. So, and when I, and I get that that's, that's common, but what's not common is two weeks, three weeks, one month, two months. And when you start asking them, they have a, a wild story as to why they went from here to here to here to here. And sometimes it adds up, but a lot of times it's not. And you look for patterns. So if the pattern is that they've never been able to hold a job for a month, then likely they're not going to work for you for greater than a month. So looking at looking at patterns and expecting people to be who they are, I think is a good thing. Also, people that have been in position maybe a little bit too long. And I'll give you an example. If everyone is going through sous chef at a rate of, let's just say, one to five years. One to five years, let's say that's, that's the rate for someone to be in the position of sous chef, but someone's been a sous chef for 10 years, and now all of a sudden they want to go into a very big next step. I would, I would question that. I would want to understand why. And sometimes there's a good reason why, but a lot of times if they weren't getting promoted anywhere else, there might be a reason why they weren't getting promoted anywhere else. So that's also something that I look for in terms of resume red flag. So the jumping around maybe too long in position um, without being really able to explain why. Additionally, inconsistencies with titles, so all chefs know each other. I've talked about this before, that everyone talks, they pick up the phone, they call another chef, say, hey, did you work with this person? And you find out, oh yeah, they were a cook, but on the resume it says they were a sous chef or something like that. So people that lie on their resume is obviously a big red flag. And then if I was gonna get really picky, like maybe for a, a higher position, so let's just say it's like my number two, if there's spelling and grammar and you know silly mistakes like that on the resume, that's a red flag to me, you know, people that, people that don't pay attention to detail and maybe I'm hiring them for an attention to detail type job. If they can't pay attention to the resume and the grammar and the spelling and the dates and all the other things that go on the resume, then what else are they going to miss when they're in the, in their, in the operation when I need them to pay attention to the details? So I could really get into it. And by the way, I do talk about this a little bit in the culinary fundamentals book. So if you want me to expand upon it, read the book also. Can you expand on yes, chef versus heard? And yeah, so this is something that I wrote in the first Chef's PSA book, the Red Book. And it was that uh, we chef, yes chef, are greater than herd. And the reason I wrote that is because that's the type of kitchen that I came up in. So what, like I've said before, I wrote the original book for myself and you know my circle of friends. So we all said, yes chef, we chef, no chef, etc. No one in my circle said herd. And it was just kind of, like it, it felt wrong when, when we'd hear it because we all said the same thing. So like I said, we, we were in an echo chamber. It's probably the one thing that I think I've probably pissed off the most amount of chefs when I said uh, you shouldn't say herd in the kitchen. 
because you guys do whatever you want. It's your kitchen. Run it however you want. I personally don't say it. I prefer Yes Chef, We Chef. And I know my circle of friends prefer Yes Chef, We Chef, or just Chef, if you're into the whole brevity thing. I'll tell you a story, and this is what I wrote in the book. I don't know if this is true. And that is that if you came up under the brigade system with chefs, most of the chefs back in the day were European. So German, French, Austrian, etc. And so you came up, you were saying, yes, yeah, chef, no chef, or we chef because they were the chef. But if you came up in a kitchen where there was a kitchen manager and they weren't a chef, there would be no reason to call them chef. You would just say heard because you wouldn't call back and say, yes, yeah, chef, if they weren't a chef. The argument that was made to me was that if you said heard, it's because you came from you know, the family tree of places where there weren't chefs and it was just kind of passed on or you came from a family tree of places where there was chef. I don't know if that's true. I thought it was a pretty good story. It might not be true, but nonetheless, that's why in kitchens that I came up in, we always said, yes, chef. And like I said, say whatever you want. I don't, I really don't care that much. However, I will say in my world where I worked, it was always, yes, chef. Actually, it was just chef. We didn't even say the yes part. And a lot of chefs that I know, they just say chef, yes, chef, we chef, whatever. Um, some places I've seen, they just say herd chef. So again, it's whatever language that they use in the kitchen where you're working, that's the language that you use. If I was running a kitchen, it would just be chef. Anyway, teach their own, you do what you do, but that's the story behind it. Great question. The next question is, who have you enjoyed cooking with the most? Hmm, it's a good question. Obviously, my teammates and people that I've worked with in the kitchen, you know, throughout my history as a chef, you know, I have moments in time where the team just clicks. You know, when I was at, um, the chef at the Pyramid in the Fairmont Dallas, the team around me just clicked. Everyone just got it. And we had such a great time and we're all young and hungry before we all started. But during those early days, that was a special moment. When I opened up my most recent hotel at the Fairmont Austin, you know, the team around me, the opening team was just amazing and I enjoyed working with all of them and I was actually talking to some of the chefs that worked for me back then so we had an opening team of eight opening chefs and every single one of those opening chefs is now an executive chef or chef de cuisine head chef basically somewhere else in a very you know prestigious location and it was something that made me super proud thinking that wow all the opening team is now leading their own teams they all became chefs in you know a short period of time that made me super happy, but it also made me super sad to know that we will never all work together again under those circumstances where we were all just pushing each other and to be the best that we could. So those are probably the moments that I've enjoyed and the people that I've enjoyed cooking with the most. Now, in terms of like guest chef, it's always a pleasure to cook with, you know, chef friends of mine. So whether, you know, it's a guest chef series or whatever, and I have a lot of friends that are you know, top level chefs and, you know, great chefs that work in great restaurants with stars or whatever. But the one that I probably will never forget was I did a dinner with uh, the Cellar de Con Roca team in Austin. And it was probably, you know, one of the coolest things, because I think at this time they were just maybe a year or two removed from being the number one restaurant in the world. And there I was seeing, you know, their culinary team working in tandem with the culinary team that I was leading and seeing all their culinary techniques and sitting down with the chef afterwards. And we had this amazing dinner afterwards. And uh, it was a moment that I'll never forget that I got to uh, sit next to Chef Joan Roca and pick his brain all night. And, you know, we became friends and he invited me to come stay at his place in Spain, which I, I haven't taken him up on. But it was great to work 
with him and see his food and see how real they are. And, you know, they're just, they're just good people. And it was a little bit surreal, but that was, you know, in terms of like guest chef, that would probably be it. But in terms of just day to day, you know, the, the chefs that I've worked with in those moments of time where we've achieved greatness, it's, it's a, it's a group of people. Great question. And now I'm on the last question and it's a really good question. And I deliberately put it last. And that is where do I see the culinary industry going in the next 10 years? What I see is there's, there's a massive shift in the way that we look at food. I, I think that being able to cook your authentic food is going to become more and more of a thing. So, you know, before where everyone just did, you know, French or Italian or whatever, I think now it's going to be more so about the individual, but it's, it's almost even more dialed down. So it's like, let's just say it's Mexican, but it's not just Mexican and it's not just Mexican from this city and it's not just Mexican from this town, but it's Mexican from this household and the food that you saw in there or the food that their grandmother cooked. I think you're going to start to see a lot of that where it's the traditions that people had in their homes lifted up with their culinary technique. So I think that's the way that food is going, where people are going to be able to express themselves much more. I also see in the, in the next couple of years, many more head chefs are going to be women. And I'll tell you why I saw that, you know, years ago I was on the board for a culinary school and I remember walking through the halls and seeing, you know, about, uh, you know, 30% were female and 70% were male students. And when I went to culinary school, it was like, there was like three girls in my class out of like 30 people. And so now I saw a big shift in the amount of female chefs that were going to culinary school. As time went on, I remember the split even flipped more where 70% of the students were female and about 30% were male. And, you know, it takes time to catch up. So those people that were going into industry as cooks after 10 years or so, they're going to be the chefs. So I think the majority of chefs in the next 10 years will probably most likely be female. Again, that's just the way I see it playing out based on what I saw in the culinary schools. I also see a lot of the casual places starting to disappear, you know, the chain concepts. I see, you know, with 10 years, I think we'll probably be going more towards robotics and AI. I think that's a very real thing. You know, there's a lot of robots out there that could flip burgers better than people. So I think if it's not a chef-driven concept, I think a lot of that will be replaced by robots and AI. But the chef-driven concepts, you know, you still want to hear the story and the passion of the individual. I think those will thrive more. But time will tell. I could be wrong. Anyway, that's that's my prediction. Uh, I see more authenticity. I see more uh, females running top kitchens. And I see a lot of the fast casual stuff and chains being replaced by robots. Anyway, that was a great question. I want to wrap it up. Thank you all for the questions. I really enjoyed doing this podcast. If you want to support the show, follow Chef's PSA on all social platforms. There's a link to donate in the show notes on Spotify. Go get the books, Chef's PSA, How Not to Be the Biggest City in the Kitchen, and Chef's PSA, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals and go get the merch. I appreciate it. Make sure you leave five stars. This is a five-star podcast and subscribe. Thank you all. Hit the porno music.